Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our weekly Bible and current event study for August 19th, 2007. And today we're going to do a dedicated teaching on the fallen angel deception. And I think I've done this teaching in the past, but I don't believe I had it on uh, the recording. So I wanted to just to do a dedicated teaching on this. And the first place we're going to start regarding the subject is Genesis 3 to lay a foundation here. Because I think, uh, the, like the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Proverbs 11.3. So we want to make sure that we're laying a proper foundation with this study. Something, again, that's very rarely preached on in the churches. And when all of this stuff, and you're going to see what I mean by stuff, when all of these things start to happen, the church isn't really going to have an explanation for it. Because they haven't ever really made any attempt to give an explanation. This is information that they would view as maybe driving somebody from their church, maybe losing church attendance, maybe losing a little bit of that almighty dollar from the collection trays, and uh, maybe not politically correct. And that doesn't go over well in today's modern day, you know, lukewarm churches. I'm not saying every church, but I'm saying the vast, vast majority. So in Genesis, chapter 3, Verse 15. Now, this is God essentially pronouncing judgment on Satan after Satan has tricked Eve and deceived her and then Adam and then the sin and then the fall and the whole nine yards there. But in verse 15 he says, And I will put enmity, uh, meaning like uh, division and war and, and is what that word means. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Now, thee... God is speaking here to Satan, essentially. Okay? And I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. So, what God's saying here is there's two separate, distinct seeds. And then he goes on to say, It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, Ultimately, Jesus Christ came in the form of a man, came down from the portals of heaven, and bruised Satan's head. When he took captivity captive after the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, but that's a whole other study there. But in regard to this verse, we're seeing something that Satan is distinct in that the Bible talks about his seed and her seed as being something distinct. Now, there's this theory out there, and I just heard this, I think I've heard this off and on over the last, I don't know how many years, but evidently it's getting pretty prevalent out there, and it's called, evidently, the serpent seed theory that espouses that we weren't taught the whole story in Genesis. Now, this is really prevalent. I was with a pastor the other day, and we were we were um, kind of driving around and, and, and talking a little bit, and and he would refer to somebody and he would say they're serpent seed. And I thought, wow, are they like, you know, what's going on there? <laughs> and he explained to me what he meant, meaning that that was their theology. Meaning that somebody be that believes in the serpent seed theory believes that Satan actually had sex with Eve. And they had an offspring primarily through Cain. And this is why Cain turned out the way that he did. 
Okay, but hold on. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which, which is what we just said, says that, that God's saying to Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. Right here, it defines that as two separate, distinct seeds. If Eve had had sex with Satan, her seed would, would, be, would be one with Satan's. You couldn't say they were two distinct, separate seeds. Could you? It's impossible. That's why it's very important what Bible version you're reading, because this one verse debunks that whole theory, essentially. And not only that, I see no other proof. Now, I, I got this article from a guy, and it, was, it went into the serpent seed stuff, or I read this on the internet, and the first thing that he had to do in order to justify his position on the serpent seed was go back to the original Hebrew and go back to all these other false perverted Bible versions. It was possible, at that point, if he did all of this other manipulation of the Word of God, that it was possible maybe to maybe get that impression. But, you know, I think this is something God would have been very clear about. And you know what? We don't need the serpent seed uh, theory to understand what happened in Genesis chapter 6, which, you know, we're going we're gonna to look at that next. We, you don't need all of that other stuff. You don't need the whole thing with Eve sleeping with Satan in order to believe that there is a separate seed of Satan. And that's what we're going to discuss. I mean, it was very obvious in Genesis 6, and that's where we're going to go next. So if we go to Genesis 6, verse 1. Genesis 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, all which they chose. Now, we're going to... Okay. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, all that they chose. Now, that phrase, the sons of God, in the Old Testament is only used in one context every single time. Not so in the New, because we are actually can be referred to as sons of God, as born-again believers in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, the context upon which the sons of God is used is very consistent. Okay, And it's always in reference to angels, every single time. If you go to the um, Job 1.6 And I'm just doing, I know I've done this before in some other studies, but if this is the first time someone's hearing this, I think it's important that they understand, you know, exactly where, where we're coming from here, so we establish the proper foundation. Job 1.6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now you're telling me this is humans? This is something that happened essentially in heaven. These are the angels, okay? This is not the godly line of Seth. Because a lot of times people will say, when we go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wise all that they chose. Okay, now, again, if this was the godly line of Seth, why did it, why did it have such horrific, a horrific um, outcome? that we're going to talk about more in the later... I mean, such a horrific outcome that God had to destroy the whole world with a flood. Think about that. 
doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hold water. Well, I'm not convinced the sons of God really means that. Okay, well, then let's go a little bit further. Job 2.1. Job 2.1, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. Now, do you know any human that can do this? Oh, the godly lines of Seth could. They came with Satan and they presented themselves before the Lord. Well, what did they get like, you know, a pass out of this earth dimension into heaven for like a day? They were so godly? doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like the Bible says, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. It doesn't make any sense. These were, these were the, um, you know, the good angels, okay? At this time, they were the good angels, the sons of God. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Okay, so... There's the second time that it, that it is used in, uh, in Job. And then Job 38, verse 7. Job 38, verse 7. Because the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. So we've got, this will be the third other verse, other than Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, where it talks about sons of God, and it's always in the same context. Uh, Job 38, Chapter uh, 38, verse 7 says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Well, and, and God's asking questions here. Where was, thou, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. This is God talking to Job. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereon, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Who laid the cornerstone thereof? God's asking Job, all these questions about the earth, which there's no way he's going to be able to answer it, unless the Lord had already supernaturally revealed it to him ahead of time. And then it says, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Okay? Job wasn't there. Neither was the godly line of Seth. <laughs> when he laid the foundations of the earth. Okay? So, <laughs> that totally debunks that thing. So we've now we've already debunked two theories. We've, we've debunked the serpent seed theory, and we've debunked the godly line of Seth. And we're going to give you a whole lot more to, to uh, as far as ammunition goes. Okay, so, let me just start again. And it came to pass, this is Genesis 6, chapter 1. It came to pass, when the men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, that these were good angels at the time, saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Now these are angels, it, it's, it's evident that these are angels that hadn't fallen yet, because when Satan fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels, right? Well, these were angels that fell even after that. It, it appears in the Bible, because this is after Satan's fall. I mean, this is after the Garden of Eden. So that's another interesting point to think. Angels still have free will, just like we do. And the Lord said, after this had happened, that the sons of God took the daughters of men. The Bible refers to it as them leaving their first estate. This was a huge, gigantic, biblical no-no. This is why God says that the seeds and the humans and everything else are to produce after their own kind. This was another kind. This was an angelic being taking essentially a human form and procreating with women, which God never commanded them to do, and it was an abomination from the pit of hell on the sight of God. That's 
cut and dry. How do we know this? Well, we can see God's reaction to know. Okay? Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be in 120 years. Okay, now this is when the lifespans actually started to be coming reduced. Because up until this point, you know, you got these, I mean, in verse 32 of the, of the uh, I mean, let's say, Genesis chapter 5, uh, Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech, this is verse 26, 780 years and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Well, 969 years. They were living pretty long back then. Okay, now there's other reasons after the flood happened that the lifespan went down, but that was God's doing as well. And Ken Hovind's done a brilliant expose on that subject, looking at the pre-flood environment. The atmospheric pressure was double, the oxygen content was double or triple, um, and in that type of environment we would live to be very, very old and, and very, very large most likely. And they were obviously, you can see some of the uh, dimensions of some of these people back then. They were really, really big. Okay? After the flood happened, we lost that canopy that was over the earth, and we lost the atmospheric pressure, we lost the double oxygen content, we lost the, the radiation protection that the canopy afforded us. And then... When that happens, when you lose that radiation protection, you open yourself up to free radical production, which is what happens when the sun's radiation will hit us. Now, I know sun, sun, the sun is good, but too much of anything is not a good thing. These are just some of the various things that contributed to the aging process and to the decrease in lifespan after the flood happened. And again, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, but um, Ken Hovind, I think it's tape number two, if you order his creation series. And I think if you even key this in on Google, Google Video has most of Ken Hovind's teachings. You can go watch them for free up on the internet. Um, I've sent them out before. It's very, very interesting. So anyway, um, then verse 4. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. Now remember that verse. We talk about Genesis 6, oh, that's when the giants were. But it says, and also after that. We're going to talk about that a lot more. Now, the word giants in the Hebrew means Nephilim, or fallen ones. It's translated from the word Nephilim, or fallen ones. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about that today. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. Now, that's a nice King James way of saying that these fallen angels, these angels that left their first estate procreated with fair women, whoever that they chose, on this earth. How do we know they procreated? Well, it says in the next part of this verse, and they bear children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. This is where we get all of the Greek legends of the Titans, and Achilles, and Apollo, and all these other, you know, th underdog, no, just kidding. Just kidding about the underdog one. I got caught up on the whole movie. For, did you hear they had the underdog movie now? It came out, I think, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't go to the movie theaters. I don't advise it. But um, yes, they have the underdog movie. Anyway, a um, little humor there. 
So it says, and they bear children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Okay? And again, this is how we can explain all the Greek, like a lot of the legends that occur in from antiquity on. This is where we get them. I mean, there's got to be some explanation. They, they couldn't have made all that stuff up, could they? You know, the Golden Fleece and, you know, all these things, Hercules and, and, and all of these things that we see in these legends. And I'm not saying they're not embellished or not exaggerated. Okay? But this would purely and totally explain that. I mean, what other way could you explain it? You mean, did you just have really good breeding with some humans and these giants just kind of happened by chance? I don't think so. They're, they're a whole race of them. Um, so, in verse 5 it says, And God saw the wickedness of man that was great in the earth. Now, this was the fruit of this union. Okay, now we as Christians are called to be fruit inspectors. Fruit of things. We're called to, we are called to, you know, judge situations if they be evil or good. Not to go around judging hypocritically, but the Bible says, He who is spiritual judgeth all things. I mean, when you're driving a car, you're constantly making judgments. Do I stop at that red light or should I go through it? Hmm, I don't know. I mean, common sense judgments, you know. Well, this is the fruit of that union. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, this is what happens when you have Satan getting in the mix. Satan will take you lower than you ever thought that you could possibly go. And when these women procreated with these fallen angels, and they had children, these Nephilim, these fallen ones, these men of old, these men of renown, the outcome of that could have only been evil. It, it, it could have only been evil. Now, there's a lot of conjecture about the book of Enoch, but the book of Enoch gets into this in depth. It, 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 gets, it expands on Genesis 6. Now, personally, I've read, I haven't read the whole book of Enoch, but I've read the first part. And I'll be quite honest with you, when I read that, all it did was strengthen my faith. It did nothing to weaken my faith whatsoever. Now, I'm not saying it's canon. I'm not saying it's, you know, every single thing in the book of Enoch is, is straight from... But I'm telling you right now, it really, really lines up with the Bible. The book of Enoch is even referenced in Jude. In fact, the version that I got has all the cross-references between the King James Bible and the book of Enoch where there's confirmation present. And it's cross-reference after cross-reference after cross-reference. Okay, so again, I'm not saying it's canon. I'm not saying it's it's infallible. I'm not being Mr. Heretic over here, but I am saying that there's there's things in the Book of Enoch that greatly expand upon what Genesis six talks about, and I think it's worth your time to check it out. And that's about the only extra biblical book you'll hear me say that about. I'm not going to go to Maccabees or or any of these other book Book of Jubilee, you know, whatever, Epistle of Barnabas, Shepherd of Hermes, all these. I'm not going to do that. But with this particular one. I do believe there's some things that you can glean and garner that will give you confirmation regarding what we're talking about here today. A detailed confirmation. So, the fruit of this was wickedness. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What had happened is, is Satan was defiling humanity, particularly through these fallen angelic offspring. 
And if he could corrupt the seed, then he knew that, that the seed that was prophesied, that was going to bruise his head, couldn't ever be born. This was the reason Satan did this. Not only because we're created in God's image, and he wanted to destroy every single one of us because we're created in God's image, and when he looks at a human being, he's reminded of the Lord, of God. And I'm not saying that means every human's good, but I'm saying God did say, let us create man in our image. And he said, our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. He said, our. Okay, that's what it was in reference to. It's not like, you know, some of these people say it's mother father, child, or whatever, you know, this new age stuff. It's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So, the Bible talks about this. This is the fruit, evilness. This is why God had to destroy the world. Because, because of, primarily because of this. This is how serious Genesis 6 was. It, was. it wasn't like, okay, the angels came down and they, they procreated with a few women and, you know, no harm really done here. Eh, why can't we all just lighten up and get along? No, God had to destroy the whole world because of it. That's how serious it was. Think about this. Was there anything more cataclysmic that is... That God, was there any more cataclysmic thing that God has ever done since creation up until now than the flood. He had to wipe every single human being a lot of them were not even considered probably human beings in God's eyes. They were they were these, these Nephilim offspring. Every animal other than, I, well, some, the ones on the, on the ark they all, had to go, they all had to die. I believe that the world had been so corrupted by these beings that God had to start with a clean slate. That's how serious it was. How much more serious can you get than that? But this isn't preached on very much, and, and I'm going to tell you why this relates to our day and time shortly here. Verse 6 says, And it repented the Lord that he had even made man, that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him in his heart. I mean, this is how much it affected God. He had, basically, sounds like he had second thoughts about even ever making us. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have even made them, that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah... These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, when that word, when we talk about this word perfect, we don't mean he lived in sinless perfection. There's only one person on the planet that ever did that, and that's Jesus Christ. Okay? But I believe what this is more in reference to is that he was an upright, austere, godly man, but also his immediate bloodline in and of himself, and, and most likely his sons, had not been corrupted with these Nephilim uh, genetics. Because this is what we're dealing with. We're, we're dealing with, like, inbreeding of a fallen angelic variety. We're dealing with, you talk about inbreeding, this is really a inbreeding gone awry. This is not really inbreeding, I should say, but, but genetically engineering things. And, and isn't that funny? That's what we're doing today. With the crops with the human beings. We're, we're, we've, got, we've got all kind of stuff going on in experimentations around the world um, called transgenics and all these things that they're doing where they're trying to play God. They're combining human genes with pig genes and human genes with rice. You, did you hear I said rice? They've got a new strain of rice out that has part human gene in it. And they're growing it. 
Now, when you eat that, do you think that might be defiling you in a, in a way that you might not be aware of? Not only physically, but what might it be doing to you spiritually? This is why we have all this genetic engineering of the crops and of humanity. Because Satan is seeking to destroy the seed. He's seeking to defile the seed. Because that's what Satan does. He comes to kill and to destroy and to steal. So he's trying to do all this. To defile humanity, to usher in his one world government. And he's doing a really good job. But it's not like Jesus Christ isn't up on the throne permitting this to happen. God said that he, that in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 3, or 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, or, or chapter 2, where he goes into the fact that it says God will send the strong delusion, that they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth, that had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, God's going to send the strong delusion. He's using or permitting Satan to do this. It's basically all it is. So, it, it goes on here, uh, the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. All flesh, it said. All flesh. In other words, it sounds to me as though everything had been touched by this fallen angelic uh, Nephilim connection. Everything. It said, all flesh. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. See, God didn't have a choice. If God hadn't have done this, they would have destroyed Noah eventually. Now, God could have protected Noah, but what kind of life would that be? Oh, this is great, I've got, you know, my, me and my sons, and we're the only ones, that, and then you look at what Ham ended up doing. So, you know, there was obviously problems there. God didn't want that. Okay? But the seed had been so corrupted on earth that God had to destroy the whole earth, save Noah, his sons, and their wives. That was it. This, this is the, this, so this is a very, very important, major, cataclysmic type of thing. God had to do this. Now... We're going to go further now with this teaching. We're going to start relating this further ahead in time, and then ultimately we're going to relate it to our time. Because that's why I'm really doing this teaching, so we can understand how we can relate this thing to our time. I'm just going to read this. This is part of my study that I haven't read yet, and it's a little bit of redundancy, but it's confirmatory to what we've already said. And when we talk about Job Job 1.6, Job 2.1, Job 38.7, and then, and then Genesis 6.2, where we talk about the sons of God, um, there's a lot of, and again, I had said this thing before about there's a lot of debate on this subject, or there has been debate. And I think the reason there's been debate it's because so much of the time, the modern day church doesn't want to deal with things of a supernatural origin. They want to be able to explain it away in some type of humanistic way. Oh, we don't really battle against flesh and blood, against principalities, against rulers of wickedness in high places. No, we don't want to talk about that, because that's too scary. Why is it scary? That's the battle. Why is it scary? 
The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. The, the weapons of our warfare are, are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. We're the ones that, that as born-again Christians, should be having the power, putting on the full armor of God, using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible says, it's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. How did Jesus deal with Satan and contend with him in the desert? He quoted Scripture. Well, we have that same, we have that same access to the Word of God. If we're reading the Word of God, which is the King James Bible, I don't understand why this is so scary. To me, it makes the Bible come alive. Okay, but it scares a lot of people. And, and um, you know, I, I don't think it should be that way, quite honestly. This comment goes on to say, Many competent and prominent Bible scholars of today believe that, quote, the sons of God are of human lineage. This has been taught in seminaries or cemeteries for years, but was not the understanding of the early church nor even the position of many modern-day rabbis. Ultimately, the position simply does not hold water, even under casual study, mostly due to the scriptural references as above, as seen in the Old Testament. When we compare scripture to scripture as the Bible com commands us to do, we see that Job 1.6, Job 2.1, Job 38.7, and Genesis 6.2, when it refers to the sons of God, is always in reference to angels. That's, that's, it's, it's, Really, not really much for much debate. But if you have a false Bible version, and they change that phrase, sons of God, guess what? You're in confusion. But guess what? God is not the author of confusion. And that's why it's very important what Bible version you're reading. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Forever. He's promised to preserve them. So either, you know, I have some people say, well, you know, this and that about the King James Bible or whatever. And normally, um, I mean, there's so much rebuttal evidence that I have on these issues. But it's, I think to myself, you know, what are the, if you think about it, what are the other options? The other 150 perversions that came from essentially the Catholic Church through the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus manuscripts, through Westcott and Hort, who were two basically closet occultists, that, that basically gave us the revised version upon which spawned all the other false translations that we currently have on the market? Well, is that the true word of God then? The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy words are settled in heaven. That's the deal. They're settled in heaven. And the Bible that you're reading better match up with what's ever settled in heaven. And the King James Bible is distinct and comes from a totally different line and is pure. And that is what I believe and I believe I can prove this scripturally and, and through much of the research that I can send to you, that is the Word of God. You can have confidence knowing that you have the Word of God in your hands. With, with any of these other perversions, you don't have any confidence. Well, which one's the Word of God? Which verse do I quote back to the devil? Do I quote back the NIV or maybe the American Standard? Maybe the inclusive version that refers to Jesus Christ as the one. Maybe I'll use the NIV, which, which has removed 64,098 words out of that Bible which is almost 10% of the total text. Oh yeah, I have a lot of confidence there. Oh yeah. Anyway, a little sidebar there. So, in reference to the sons of God, the passage also bears extreme relevance on the complete understanding of the scripture quoted from Matthew 24, 37. Now, let's just go there real quick. Okay, now we're going to get to this in more depth very shortly. 
but the Bible says, Jesus said, in regard to essentially the end times, okay, and it, let's just look in verse 35, which is more confirmation on the word of God. Verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Well, does God have all these other versions up in heaven and He's just including them every time they, they come out with a new translation? They're just kind of grandfathered in? I don't think so. There's one word of God. Okay? Verse 36 says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, nor the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noe were, so shall also be the days of, also the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, hold on, isn't that kind of when we're living, like right now? I mean, we're closer to Jesus' return right now than we've ever been. And the Bible says, and Jesus Christ said, but as the days of Noah were, so also shall be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was the greatest earmark of Noah's day? Didn't we just talk about this in Genesis 6, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise all that they chose, and from this, nep from this offspring, these Nephilim, were, were the mighty men of old, the men of renown, and through that, fruit of that union, that the whole world was defiled and corrupted, so much so that God had to destroy the whole earth. Now, I'm not saying God's going to have to destroy the whole earth. Okay, because that wouldn't line up scripturally. He's going to intervene. Okay, before that has to happen. But, the fact remains is that it says, as in the days of Noah, so all shall, shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then it says in verse 38, For as the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not, until the flood came and took them away, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. Now a lot of people just stop there and say, well it just means that, it just means that the world's going to, they're not going to really expect what's coming on, and they're just going to go about their own business until the Son of Man. But it says, as in the days of Noah were, I think that means in totality, what was going on in Noah's day. What was the greatest thing, what was the most important thing that was going on in Noah's day? These fallen angels had taken these wives, produced this offspring. Okay? And again, we're going we're gonna to go a lot further. Why do you think we're getting all of this alien stuff shoved down our throat constantly? With the alien agenda from Hollywood, you know, E.T., phone home, the whole nine yards, all this stuff. Why, why, do you think Hollywood has no agenda in doing this? Knowing that Satan's behind Hollywood? Hmm. All of these shows, like the X-Files, and, and, and some of the shows, we're going to get into one of these today. And a lot of it's geared toward the younger generations. All of these wicked, wicked shows, and then the promotion of witchcraft through things like Harry Potter. You think maybe they're preparing us for something? You think maybe they're trying to condition particularly the younger generation, the masses, to maybe accept something coming down the road, like the Antichrist, who the Bible says, and Daniel, will cause craft, witchcraft to prosper? Going further with this comment, historically the Book of Antiquities, by notice Jewish historian Josephus, also states that angels intermarried with human daughters, producing the, quote, titans of the Greco and Roman culture or the Greek legends. The word which is translated giants 
in the King James Version, the Bible is from the Hebrew Nephilim, which means those who fell or the fallen ones. Jude, the brother of Jesus, describes them as angels having left their first estate. These angels, these fallen angels, came to earth for their own purposes, to to interfere in the development of the human civilization. Again, to defile the seed, because Satan knew the prophecy that the seed of the woman was going to bruise his head. He was trying to destroy every seed of the woman, so his head couldn't get bruised. You want to know the simple explanation of the whole thing, if you want to boil it down, that was the motivation. The main motivation. So, um, some dismiss these scriptures believing Jesus taught in Matthew 29-30 that angels cannot have sex. When that verse reads, Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Looking carefully and without a preconceived notion at this verse, we see that Jesus said that the angels in heaven do not marry nor presumably have sex or reproduce. He did not state that angels in heaven, in general, cannot do so, though. He didn't say they couldn't do so. He said they didn't. Why? Because they were being obedient. See, angels still have free will. Those that chose to follow with Satan ex- exercised their free will. Now they're bound for the, for the lake of fire. Okay, ultimately. He still even gives the angels free will. Just like he gives us free will, if we want to get saved or if we want to, you know, not get saved. An unmarried Christian, like the angels of God in heaven, who wishes to remain obedient to God's will, does not have to have sex or get married. But not because he or she is physically incapable of doing so. See, this is the analogy, you know. A, 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 uh, an unmarried Christian has that same option. I mean, if God calls them, okay, I want you, I want you to devote your, your life to the full service of God, and the Bible talks about this, a lot of times to, to not marry, for those that have been called to do it is a better thing, because you can devote yourself fully to the things of the Lord. The Bible makes reference to that, that's a whole other Bible study, but um, they have that option. Just like the angels had the option not to fall from heaven and not to procreate. Okay, so again, that's just a little side note there. Now, getting back to Genesis 6-4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bare bare children unto them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. The scriptures use other names to describe the descendants of the fallen angels in addition to the word Nephilim. Okay, now remember, the Bible said... In Genesis 6, it says, in verse 4, it says, And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. What's that talking about? After that, I thought he wiped them all off the planet with the flood. Well, he wiped those ones. Could it be that there was more fallen angels that fell after the flood? Well, something had to happen, because there was more giants in the land. And we're going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about some of the other words used in the King James Bible used to describe giants. One of them is Rephaim, meaning giants. In Genesis 14, verse 5, it says that in the 14th year, Genesis 14, verse 5, and in the 14th year came Chidor Lamer and the kings that were with him. 
and smote the Rephaims in Astroth Carneum. Now, Astroth Carneum means um, horned star. Astroth, which is where we get the word Astarte, okay, uh, which is um, uh, one of the um, demonic deities, particularly of the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 11, verse 5, it says, For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidoans. This is when Solomon, being turned away um, from uh, the, where his wives took away his heart, essentially, and turned him after other gods. Well, this is one of the things that he did. Now, And again, the word Ashtaroth means star. Uh, Ashtaroth is the principal female deity of the Phoenicians, worshipped in war and fertility. Also, Ishtar of Assyria, which is where we get the word Easter from, and Astarte by the Greeks and the Romans. See, what every culture will do is just change the name slightly. And put a little different, maybe veneer on it. But it's the same old devil that they're worshipping. The word Easter is also derived from the word Ishtar, the ancient Babylonian goddess of fertility. From this, the Greeks derived Astarte. Ishtar became the Easter in the Anglo-Saxon prior to their arrival in Britain. Again, a little side note there, more than anything. But the main thing of this is that Another way that God refers to the giants is, is the Rephaims, and um, these were the giants that were in the land. The goddess Astarte was also depicted as the horn goddess. This is representative of Ishtar with the moon god Islam, with, with the moon god of Islam. Astarte, or Easter, in her various forms, is the mother goddess and is associated with her son slash lover as Lord. This is where we get the whole, the original of this would be the whole Nimrod, Semiramis, and then Tammuz. Okay. It's associated with the sun god lover as lord, which is the meaning of Baal, or Adonis, or really Tammuz, is what we're in reference to, her sun god lover. Now, another word that we can use for giants that occurs in the Old Testament is Zuzuims, which is defined as Zuzuim is defined as the evil one or roaming creatures. Um, they uh, evidently they primarily lived where Ham had settled. Another word is called Emims, and the Emims are the proud. Deserters, the terrors, the race of giants. And they were mentioned in the land of Shavayah Kirathayim. Let's go a little bit further here. Another word is the Anakims. Race of giants, tribe of giants, descendants of the Anak, the Anaki, which dwelled in southern Canaan. Let's just go to Numbers 13.33. Okay, so in so in so we have in Numbers thirteen verse thirty-two. Now we're going to see that these um, we're going to look at this race of giants here called the Anakim. Verse thirty-two, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, "The land through which we have gone to search it." is as a land, now, in the context of this verse, 
when it says, is a land, the phrase is derived from the Hebrew word Eretz. When it says, is a land, and that word in the context of this verse mean the, means the inhabitants of the land. Okay, and, and really, if when you read the verse, you can only come to that conclusion anyway. Okay, so, when it says, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, it doesn't mean like there was big Venus flytrap plants around eating everybody up. You know what I mean? Or like the earth was swallowing everybody up. It was, it, was a, it was a land where these Anakim were there, where these giants were there, and they, it says that they eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of the Anaki, that, which come of the giants, and were as in our sight, as gra- and, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so were so we were in their sight. Okay, so these were giants that were basically cannibals. Which is one of the main earmarks you'll see of these giant races. The legends of them, whether you go to the Book of Enoch, or whether you go to other legends about the giants, many, many times you'll read that they were cannibals. They've actually found remains of these giants. And usually when they find remains of them, they'll have two double rows of teeth they'll have, like, one row, and then on the, and then they'll have another row outside of that when they find skeletal remains of these giants. Um, and I, there's been so many skeletal remains found, you know, I don't even know where to begin, but it's, it's repressed by the mainstream media because Satan really doesn't want this type of information becoming mainstream. And there were different kinds of giants, there were different kinds of these, these Nephilim offspring. Some of them were giants. Some of them had elongated skulls. Um... You know, there were different physical attributes. It wasn't just all cookie cutter. But these skeletal remains have been have been found in various parts all over the world. But see, Darwin doesn't have a real explanation for that one. You know, he doesn't understand on that one. So they don't want to they don't want to release any of that stuff out. Then Deuteronomy one twenty eight says, "Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying." The people is taller, is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. And again, that's in reference to the giants. Deuteronomy 2.10 And the Emims dwelt therein in times past, a people great and many and tall as the Anakims. So this is another race of giants, the Emims. Uh, Deuteronomy 2.11 which were also accounted giants as the Anakims, but the Moabites called them Emims. Okay, so maybe it was same race, different name. Hard to be dogmatic, but you know. Then Deuteronomy 2.21, a people great and many and tall as the Anakims, but the Lord destroyed them before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead. Well, isn't that funny that Satan kind of prepositioned all these giants in the promised land, knowing, and saying probably knowing that, you know, God had promised the promised land to the Jews, and by the time they finally got in there, the giants had set up shop. They had totally set up shop. And guess what they were doing? Just like they did in Genesis, they were defiling the land. And this is why when the, when the, um, the Jews went in, God would many, many times instruct the Jews to destroy everything. Man, woman, beast, everything. Because, just like in Genesis, chapter 6, they had defiled everything in the city, in that land, and it all had to be destroyed. If all of it wasn't destroyed, it would be like a little leaven 
let's say they let a few of them go. Well, that would be like leaven going out, and that would just defile other places. So it was much more merciful to destroy a whole city and all their offspring than to let them escape and then let them have, let's, let, let's say, um, defile a race that could be redeemed. See, these Nephilim can't be redeemed. You can't, you can't save a half-fallen angelic. You know, Jesus didn't die for them. He didn't, he didn't die, die for the offspring of the fallen angels that left their first estate when they procreated with women, which was all an abomination from the pit of hell. They can't get saved. So, it would be much more merciful to destroy the whole city, wipe them out, they're all destined for, for the lake of fire anyway, ultimately, than it would be to let them live. And so this is why a lot of times people say, oh, God sounds like he's so cruel and so mean, but there's reasons why he did what he had to do. That's something that's not very well much preached on in the churches. Maybe D. James Kennedy. Now, he's pretty hardcore, so I, I, might, I might have to take that back on him. Or Benny Hinn. You know, we, we can't forget about Benny. Sorry. Just kidding there. <laughs> so, we go a little bit further. <clears throat> uh, let's see here. Deuteronomy 9.2 A people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest, and of whom thou hast heard say, who can stand before the children of the Anaki? Now, the Zumans were defined, and I believe this is in Strong's possibly, the Zumans, the evil plotters, the Amorite name for the people, who by others were called the Rephaim, and were described as numerous nations of giants. Deuteronomy 2.20 That also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt therein in time of old, and the Amorites called them Zazumans. So, it's, giants just aren't mentioned in Genesis 6. It's actually mentioned far more other places. And again, we go back to, to Matthew 24, verse 37, where it says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, some state that this passage context only refers to the sinful state of mankind at the time of the flood, or only to the suddenness at which Jesus will appear. These are fair and accurate at-a-glance interpretations, but the implications of the rest of the study indicate that there is more yet to be learned about the days of Noah. Have you ever seen something you never saw before in a passage you've read many times? None of us have arrived at a complete understanding of the Bible, because the Bible says we see through a glass, but yet darkly. God always reveals deeper mysteries to those who will study and proclaim His Word. See, God's, that's who God's going to show us, His the deeper mysteries of these things do. If you're in His Word, if you're digging in His Word, if you're in the right Bible, if you're trying, you know, to live a holy life and, and, and doing it through the Lord Jesus Christ and His strength and His power through the power of the Holy Spirit, He's going to show you more things. But, you know, what's something that you can do to totally cut off that flow or to greatly hinder it is that when He starts to show you things, you become offended and you say, I'm not going to yield to those things. I'm not going to be obedient. And then God says, fine, that's your free will, but I'm going to cut off what I'm showing you. This is why the vast majority, particularly of Americans, are totally blinded. Because they won't yield to the truth. They won't be obedient. And I'm not saying I'm Mr. Obedience over here. I'm not saying I haven't rebelled. Okay, or I'm not judging other people. I'm just saying that that's the case most of the time. God will stop showing you things when you just say, well, I don't care what you show me, my mind's made up, don't confuse me with the facts. And I don't care, you know, there's th other things God can show you even outside of the Bible as far as truth that's going on. So, this is something that, um, 
You know, again, it's very much taught in the churches, because most of the time you're not getting the truth in the churches anyway. You're getting maybe little bits and pieces, but you're not getting the big picture. However, the most obvious childlike interpretation of this verse, meaning the verse we just read about, as in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, the most obvious childlike interpretation of this verse would be that when Christ returns, the world would look like it did just before the flood. To know what society was like just before the flood and, and what the world will look like when Christ returns, the obvious thing to do is to read Genesis chapter 6. Well, we just read it. What was, again, what was the greatest thing going on? What was the most, obviously the most overriding, important thing going on? The sons of man saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they bare them children. And God had to destroy the whole world as a result of it. Now let's go to Second Peter chapter two, verse four through six. Second Peter chapter two, verse four through six. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. Now this is the only time that this particular word, and I don't I, I don't like to constantly go back to the Greek and the Hebrew, but in this particular case, the word hell is derived from the word Tartarus, which is which means the deepest abyss of hell. It's only used one time in the Bible. Okay, it's almost like a special compartment where these particular fallen angels are chained. Okay? So, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, derived from the word Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, into ashes, condemn them with an overflow, making them an example unto those that should that that after should live ungodly. So that this was an example. This was a gigantic wake up call for those that want to live ungodly. That's what the flood was. God says, Okay, you want to live like the devil, I'll kill the whole world. You want you want to live like the devil? Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. You think you think homosexuality is okay? Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. I think God might have to beg to differ. Killed everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah, saved Lot, some of his family. Had to kill everybody in the world. Wickedness was only continually upon their mind. Homosexuality, I guarantee you, was rampant. Because that's the last place Satan will usually bring people to that lifestyle. I mean, that's the lowest of the low. And then they start defiling kids through pedophilia. You know, that's what was going on there. Jude 6, verse 6 and 7, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, hmm, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, let's just go back to this verse again. The angels which kept not their first estate. That mean, that mean, word, first estate, means their original place with God. That was, their, that was their home. That was their intended home forever, was with God. Okay? Which was essentially like in another dimension almost than ours. Because if that were the case, then we could see angels in our dimension just like theirs. We don't see angels. 
They're not, they're not subject to our dimension. Neither is God. That's a whole other study. But anyway, they left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains, in this case prison in Tartarus, unto darkness, unto the judgment day. Eat of, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. This is why it's so important. The Bible says, above all, flee fornication. There's no other sin that can defile you like this, because you're actually polluting your temple when you fornicate. And going after strange flesh. Well, this would be in reference to the homosexual lifestyle. Now, this would also be in reference to the angels leaving their first estate, going after their strange flesh. It's, it's, it's probably similar in God's eyes. An angel leaving his first estate, going after a woman, is him going after strange flesh. God didn't call them to procreate. He's going after a woman, which God never called him to go after a woman, an angel. And... They're leaving their first estate. They're going after strange flesh. It's, it's flesh that should be foreign to them. It's off limits in God's eyes. But they're just saying, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to exercise my free will and do this. It's the same thing. And they also use the, um, the example of Sodom and Gomorrah here. As far as going after strange flesh, it would be like a homosexual going after another man. Or a woman going after another woman. That's strange flesh. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's not what God called them to. What's, what's the price for all of this? are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Don't tell me you're homosexual and you're saved. I don't want to hear it. You're demon-possessed if you're a homosexual. And you're practicing that lifestyle and you have no urge to repent or what... I mean, you're, you're, you are. You're, I'm, you are. Because that is demon possession. So what happens when you get defiled in that way. I'm not saying God can't deliver you from it, but there's not a whole lot of homosexual converts that I've ever met. I don't think I've ever met one personally, to be quite honest with you. I'm not saying it can't happen. I don't want to put God in a box. But the Bible does talk about turning them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And if you get turned over to a reprobate mind, it's hard to get unturned over. Once your consciousness has been seared, how do you get it unseared? I'm not saying God can't do it. I'm just saying, don't ever even go there. Don't even put yourself in that position. Because you don't know. I mean, the Bible talks about the Spirit of God not always striving with man forever. That's not, that's not something you would want to tempt God with. Okay? I'm not being trying to be judgmental here. I'm just pointing out facts here. It's very extremely, of all the sins you could participate in on planet Earth, homosexuality, from a damnation standpoint, is probably the most dangerous of them all. From these two passages that we just read, it is clear that Peter and Jude both affirm that the sons of God in Genesis were angels. Well, how do you mean? How, well, it says, hold on, it says, but the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. It says, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. Well, could it be the godly line of Seth? Because it says the angels here in Jude 6. And then in, and then in 2 Peter... It said, for God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell. And it brought the whole flood upon the world. This is a reference to the angels that left their first estate. So, this is just more confirmation that we're not dealing with the godly line of Seth. We're dealing with angels, fallen angels. Okay?
Genesis 6 reveals this plainly. But we have two witnesses from the New Testament as well, which, what was, which is what we just read, these two verses. Between both verses, they reference Noah's time period and the sexual sins of Sodom and Gomorrah as far as going after strange flesh, which is what God would consider an angel going after a woman as strange flesh. These angelic human hybrids of Genesis 6 are the factual basis of the gods of ancient cultures. I mean, think about it. If you were some unsaved guy and you saw this gigantic giant walking around that had all these... I mean, it'd be easy to bow down and worship him. In fact, he might command it. You don't know any better. You going to mess with them? I mean, especially if you have no reference to the true God in heaven. Are you going to mess around with them? I doubt it. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14 and 15 says, And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. It is obvious this passage is saying that even Satan workers, human or angelic, can pretend to be ministers of peace and goodwill. In the case of humans, this may not be an intentional deception, but simply people who are deceived, who are deceiving others, the blind leading the blind. However, transformed, as used here, is not figurative, but physical. The literal word is metakesematizo. I can't even hardly say it. Which means to change the figure of, to transform, to assume the form of another. And has the same root as metamorphosis. And relates specifically to the outward physical appearance. Quite simply, angels have the power to shapeshift. Angels appeared as human often in the Old Testament, and the, human, and the New Testament tells us that we too may entertain angels unaware. Now, I'm not going to get super dogmatic about this, okay, as far as, okay, well, you know, these Nephilim creatures are just shape-shifting right now before our very eyes, and, we're, and I'm just saying that there's a case in the Bible saying that they do have this power to do this, and, and, and to do it in such a way as to deceive, okay? So again, I don't want to get too far off base here, it's just that I... I I thought that that was a good point to at least touch on. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rules of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Here we see the church is called to wage war, not against deceived humanity, when they disagree with us, but most directly against the evil spiritual forces responsible for deceiving the whole earth, and many times they do this through humanity, but what are the spiritual forces behind these deceived people? They're spirits. Okay, which is really where our battle is. Okay, so the word powers in, in Ephesians 6.12, where it says, you know, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities powers. The word powers used here is the same word found in 1 Peter 3.22, which says, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, and this is in reference to Jesus Christ, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. See, this is why I don't get all crazy and freaked out about this stuff, because, see, Jesus Christ is on the throne, He has rule over every single evil entity that we may come against. He has the power, and we have access to the throne if we're born again Bible believers. We have access to the throne. The Bible says that we should come boldly before the throne of grace to, to make our supplications known. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through, through His death, burial, and resurrection. If we are saved individuals and have the Holy Spirit living inside us, we have that kind of access. And all these other 
even the good, the good angels, the fallen angels, the authorities and the powers are subject unto Jesus Christ. Now that should give you hope. Because it doesn't matter everything else that I've said. The, the, the bottom line is, is we have authority through Jesus Christ. So here it is a, uh, here's a breakdown right now of the meanings of these different words in Ephesians 6.12. Principalities, which means the word archi. Uh, which is defined as the chief in various applications of order, time, or rank. These are in reference to, um, you know, the, the principalities uh, that we battle. Okay? These are the bad principalities that we battle. And remember, Satan has an army. He has different ranks and different um, offices for his fallen angels and demons and devils and things of this nature. The word powers is defined as mastery, magistrate, superhuman, potentate, delegated influence, or authority. And um, there's a lot of different scriptural verses that we could go into in each one of these words, but for the time's sake today, I'm just going to kind of talk about the definitions. The word rulers here is defined as an attribute of Satan, a worldly ruler. The word high, meaning in the high places, is above the sky, celestial, heavenly. Regarding the day we are living in, sophisticated man has little understanding of God. When modern man witnesses supernatural events, he tends to superimpose our technological mindset to a force of scientific explanation. For example, when God acts supernaturally in our realm, or if a UFO is sighted in the sky, many people, including Christians, tend to rationalize away a biblical understanding of the phenomenon. You understand this? How many Christians are standing up in regard to the, to the UFO things and saying, no, 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 we've got we've to get this straight. No, no, they let the New Agers totally own that whole thing, essentially. The New Agers, the UFO geeks or freaks or whatever they, they call themselves, because they do call themselves that, basically, um, they're the ones that basically have the conventions, they're the ones that, that you know, um, put on their Star Trek outfits and act like Dr. Spock and, and go around and... and they discredit the whole movement, is what ends up happening. People don't even take it seriously. Well, they're going to be taken seriously pretty soon, because I believe that when the Antichrist reveals himself, it's going to be in conjunction with an explanation of what are all these little green men, and what are all the UFOs, and what are all this, the uh, crop circles, and the alien abductions, and all the other things that go on. What is all this about? See, the Antichrist is going to have an explanation for this, Guaranteed. But the church isn't. And that's what's pitiful about this. So, if we go further here, for example, when God acts supernatural in our realm, or if a UFO is sighted in the sky, many people, including Christians, tend to rationalize away a biblical understanding of the phenomenon. They try to force it to fit our age's chosen paradigm. In man's modern effort to reject the Bible... He instead embraces the UFO and cult-inspired doctrine of panspermia, which is the idea that life was created or manipulated by aliens. That's what panspermia means. See, that's what the little green men, that's what the UFOs are telling these people when they're getting abducted. Oh, that doesn't really happen. They don't really get abducted. Oh, okay, so you're telling me that there's conservative estimates that 2% of the population of America has been abducted. You're telling me all these people are nuts and crazy? That would, that would equate to millions of people. Millions. Well, why isn't it all over the news? Because the media is controlled and, and 
by these wicked people, and they do not want this type of information getting out. And if it does get out, it's it's normally put it out in the National Enquirer, something that would just discredit the whole thing. They don't really want people to know the true meaning behind these things. They want people to think that the Bible is a lie, and that these, these alien entities come from these other planets, and that they're here, and that they actually created us, and they actually you know, set everything up millions of years ago, and now we've messed things up so bad, they're going to have to come back and straighten out their science project, which was us, essentially. Do you know this is what intelligent design teaches at its very core root? Intelligent design is based on deism, which is existentialism, and it's also based on the fact that um, this creator, if you really study intelligent design out, was not God. It was not God. It was the aliens that came and seeded our planet millions of years ago. And I've and I've I've confronted some people in the intelligent design with this. Taylor, don't do that. And um, they said, "Yeah, but if we could just get our foot in the door." They didn't. They didn't refute what I said. Well, if we could just get our foot in the door, then we would bring in the whole biblical concept. Well, the Bible says a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You're going to try to get your foot in the door through a big lump of leaven. Well, that, that makes biblical sense to me. So, Ephesians, where Ephesians 6.12 talks about, you know, we battle not against flesh and blood. And there are other passages that state that violent angelic enemies of mankind occupy the heavens. Outer space may be a slight stretch, but the translation above of Ephesians 6.12, high places, or sky or celestial, would certainly include outer space. Okay? And again, is a fallen angel subject to our, um, the same constraints we are subject as? Having a spirit body? Do you think they're subject to the same constraints we are on earth with gravity, having to have air, and all these other things? I don't think so. Obviously not. Now, good extraterrestrial beings, of course, exist. These would be good angels. Okay. Remember, a third of the angels fell with Satan. A third. But that left two-thirds of the good. But now I do believe more fell afterward because we have the angels that left their first estate in Genesis 6 and that was well after Satan's fall. So I think there's a, per a certain percentage that have fallen. Whether, I don't know what it is now. I don't know, maybe a total of half of them have fallen now. I don't know. Maybe it's 40%. Who knows? You can't be dogmatic about that. But it's something to think about. So there's good extraterrestrial beings, of course, they exist, but the Bible much more specifically calls our attention to the fact that there are bad ones seeking to thwart God's purposes and to lead mankind to false doctrines about our origins and our places in the universe. Now, I said all of that to get into this information. Okay, we laid the foundation, now we're going to see what is this agenda. Why are, we being sh why are we getting all this shoved down our throat? What happens, okay, what's going to happen if all of a sudden these aliens, and all, you know, there's thousands of UFO sightings every single year across the world. We have the crop circles, we have all the alien stuff being shoved down our throat on TV. We have all the, the TV shows. We have the, um, you know, the miniseries, the sitcoms, and all these other things. Constantly putting this down our throat. What happens... If a UFO shows up on the on the uh, White House lawn, what are, what are D. James Kennedy, Benny Hinn, and all the all the uh, you know Oral Roberts and all these guys? What are they going to do when that happens? Are they going to say it's of God? I don't ever hear ever hearing about a priest preaching in their ministries. Oh, brother, that would that would knock down their uh, their donations like crazy. Oh, that would scare people. 
oh, well, it's better to leave your, your, your flock in the dark about these things totally and ignore it like it'll never happen and it'll never go away and you're just going to get raptured out of here and nothing bad's ever going to happen. And you know something? You're not going to have to exercise your spiritual muscles at all because all that matters is money and prosperity, right? That's all they're getting. Send in your seed faith promise. Lay your hands on the television and you're going to get healed. I hear feel a point of contact on the television. I'm going to send you this magic hanky and you're going to get all healed. I'm going to send you this magic trinket. Lay it over your head and, 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 and lay it over your family members and you're going to get, they're probably sending you something cursed in the mail. They're probably sending you something, you know, with a big fat devil attached to it. Then you have the 700 Club psychics. They, they're clairvoyant. There's a whole, there's a whole um, email I put out the other day on that. 700 Club Psychics. They can predict the future, basically. Oh, I know this man has a kidney, kidney stone. And he's, and he's in need of a healing and all this and that. You know, it would be one thing if these people were pointing people to the truth. I'm not saying there's no truth in any of these ministries. But a little leaven, leaven up the whole lump. And that's what you're getting in the most, for the most part. The leaven is leaven. They're 501c3 corporations formed by permission from the government, from the IRS, and therefore they are subject to those things. They don't read, use the King James Bible, and they have every stinking single worldly program in their ministries that they could have. And you're telling me they're from God? And they don't even talk about Genesis 6. And again, you've heard me say this, it's not so much what they're saying many times, it's what they're not saying. Isn't this important? We haven't even got into it yet. Something that every one of us are probably going to have to really deal with in this lifetime. Now, to me, this is an encouragement. This gets me fired up and psyched up. Because this makes the Bible come alive. To me. And I hope it does that to you. Let it be an encouragement. Don't let it be something that scares you. Jesus Christ is on the throne. They are subject unto Him. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Well, I don't have that kind of faith. Well, then pray for that kind of faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. When you say, I don't have that kind of faith, you can't please God. You have to have that kind of faith. Well, I can't just muster it up. You're right. You can't muster it up. you got to get in that Bible. Keep the Bible playing in your house. Have the Word of God on. It'll strengthen your faith. I'm telling you, it works. It works. Okay? I'm not saying I'm Mr. Super Christian. I'm better. Okay? I'm preaching this as much to myself as I am anyone else. But this truly is not a discouragement to me. This makes the Bible come alive. This increases my faith because I see it confirming the Bible. So, going further, uh, until the 4th centuries, sons of God Seth heresy, still taught in, taught in seminaries today, we touched upon this majorly, until the 4th century, the early church taught and fully understood that the fallen angelic host had mated through humans. Don't you think the early church would have a better grip on these things? They hadn't been so corrupted as the church today. Now granted, we have access today to things to become uncorrupted in a way because we have access to things they don't have access to, like the internet. But you have to really trust in the Lord to guide you in this truth. Okay, you've got to be very careful about trusting in man. So, 
The early church taught and fully understood that the fallen angelic hosts had mated through the, with the humans. Sadly, this reality has been lost in our modern understanding, making the UFO alien deception all the more believable for mankind, and one the modern day church totally avoids for the most part. Again, when do you ever hear this ever? The only ministries that I know of that are getting into this are kind of like, yeah, they're Christian, but they're pretty much lukewarm. You know, they're kind of like, it almost be like almost the Pentecostal bent. Because the Pentecostals will get into things that the true Bible-believing body of Christ should be getting into, but see, they just carry it way, way off in left field, typically, most of the time. I mean, Pentecostals have a zeal, in other words, that a lot of Christians don't have. I know I've been there. Oh, I was zealous. But the zeal is misguided so much of the time. You know? with so many, For so many different reasons. If they could direct that zeal, I, that's kind of what I am. I'm like a converted Pentecostal, hopefully with my zeal in the right direction now, at least to, you know, I, I hope that that's what I am before the Lord. And I was also, spent a lot of times in, in the very, very strong, King James only, independent, fundamental, non-501c3, unregistered Baptist movement as well, which is like the polar opposite of the Pentecostals. So I've kind of seen both sides of the spectrum. I have a little bit of a unique perspective. I went to a Catholic high school, a Lutheran middle school, grew up with my parents totally involved in the New Age, I've kind of seen a little bit of everything. And I'm glad the Lord let me see all that because then I can help other people in a way that I couldn't had I not been through that. Had it not been so real to me. So, going further, this is something that the modern day church totally avoids. Armed with the understanding the angelic nature of Genesis 6's hybrids, now this is what it says, Genesis 6's hybrids, what does that mean? That means that when the sons of God saw the daughters of men, they bore them children, they were half human, half fallen angel. This is a hybrid. We believe these wicked heavenly hosts are primarily the basis for today's UFO fascination and for many modern abduction reports. Now remember, these are the rulers of wickedness of high places. That high places means in the sky or celestial. Well, isn't that a lot of times where you see these UFOs? They see them in space. They've got, I mean, they've got recordings of these things um, when these uh, whatever rockets or, or whatever up in space, they've got all kinds of recordings of these things being recorded in space as well. These angelic abductions can be stopped. However, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, or dependent upon our own might or our own power. They're, this is something you totally have to depend upon the Lord. And this is why it's very important to put the full armor of God on every day. And because we battle not against flesh and blood. The full armor of God is more of a spiritual thing. Okay? Because we're fighting a spiritual battle. As we have seen, this verse encompasses Satan and those fallen angels that followed him. And we're in reference to, to Ephesians 6.12, where we battle not against flesh and blood. And it's very real and should be taken very seriously. In fact, it says it's where our primary battle actually is. It's not with flesh and blood. It's with these spirits. Now, extraterrestrial simply means not earth-born or bound. In that sense, God and all angels are extraterrestrial. 
but not in the sense that modern man thinks of one as being alien. These beings today call themselves aliens are actually lying about their origins. The church needs to tell the truth about the Nephilim fallen angelic collaboration in these abductions. Okay, now we're going to talk about this now. And again, it's, a, it's apparent in Ephesians 6.12 is our mandate of the church to wage war against these deceptive enter, entities. It says we battle. What's a battle? A war. We battle not against flesh and blood. So this is, Ephesians 6 says we're supposed to battle against this. Well, how do you battle them? Well, you battle them primarily through prayer, quoting scripture to them, living holy, being salt and light, exposing darkness wherever you can see it, or expose it. I mean, whatever God's calling has on your life, that's what you do. Now, we're going to kind of veer a little bit here, because we, we touched on this alien abduction thing. Now, I'm going to quote from some people, some saved, some unsaved. Okay, we're going to see what they're saying about this. This Dr. Carla Turner wrote a book called Unlocking the Alien Closets. Um, actually, the book was written by Leah A. Haley. And it says, um, in an excerpt from the book, UFO behavior is more akin to magic than to physics as we know it. The modern UFO knots and the demons of times past are probably identical. Now, this is somebody unsaved coming to this conclusion. Okay? A short impression of aliens, this is the book called Aliens by a guy named Brian Applegard. Aliens is... Um, and this guy's critiquing this book. He says, Aliens is what happens when a curious, brilliant, truly gifted writer and a devotee of both scientific rigor and scientific imagination begins to ponder why so many people who are not nuts in any clinical way swear that they have encounters with extraterrestrial beings. It is estimated that 2% of the Americans have had experiences that are consistent with those abductees experienced before they knew that they were abductees. 2%. That's very conservative, to be quite honest with you. There's other, there's other estimates that are way, way, way higher. 2% would be the most conservative of the conservative of the conservative estimates. Okay? And since aliens are most likely to show partiality, and are most, are most unlikely to show partiality in whom they abduct, the figure of 2%, may be applied to the world's entire population. Well, whether that's the case or so, I, I can't say that for sure. The alien phenomenon, sightings, abductions, well thought through and widely believed theories, as well as hugely popular alien fiction market, is too persistent to be due simply to mass delusion. Denying this world, denying this would be poor science, as Applegard writes, quote, the aliens are indeed the contemporary incarnations of angels, demons, and goblins in times past. Now that's again another unsaved man coming to the conclusion that these aliens are essentially, you're dealing with these spiritual entities. Okay? Or Nephilim-like beings. These hybrid offspring type things that we're dealing with here. After being involved with over a thousand experiencers... Alien, now this is from a press release from Newswire, February 22nd, 2006. After being involved with over a thousand experiencers or alien abductees, a former registered nurse who is now a professional counselor and clinical hypnotherapist has concluded that alien abductions are not only real encounters, but, they, but that they are about a spiritual awakening and galactic contact. 
Now, this is the theme you always see from the people that say, oh, this is a good thing. These are good. These are benevolent beings. They only want the best for us. Oh, is that why they ram down needles in these people and, and take all kind of samples and do all kind of sexual uh, uh, experiments on them when they're abducted? And why they come away with implants and these horrific mind trauma memories? And uh, they're, they're benevolent beings, though. But they're so brainwashed, so many of these people that get abducted, they think that this is actually a good thing. It's either of God or it's not. And it's not of God. Because God wouldn't force things, force us to do things against our own will. And that's what these aliens always do. Do you ever see the aliens saying, Well, we want to give you a choice if you want to come on board and get probed. We, we're going to give you that choice. We're going to be the kinder, gentler aliens. They don't give you that choice. Mary, this is from this quote, Mary Rodnell is not alone. As a growing number of academics, scientists, and politicians, such as former Canadian Minister of Defense, Paul Heiler, had, uh, are starting to support the core of her paradigm-shifting views of life in the universe, and that some UFOs are extraterrestrial spaceships. What did he mean about this paradigm-shifting? That was when she said that, uh, that what this whole agenda of the aliens are is... For this greater spiritual awakening and galactic contact. See, they're just kind of easing us into it. Because they know they couldn't appear all at once. So what they're doing is they're abducting a whole bunch of people. They're having a whole bunch of alien, of, of alien UFO sightings. They're flooding Hollywood with all these alien shows to get us conditioned to accept them. Because it won't be such a shock when they land on the White House lawn or whatever they choose to do. When the Antichrist most likely reveals himself is going to be in conjunction with this. Because the Antichrist is going to have the explanation for all this. See, we're all going to be, most of the people are going to be trusting the Antichrist. And if the Antichrist comes along, the great man of peace, he's going to say, yes, I can bring peace in the Middle East and all that. We're going to end the war here. And also meet my space brethren. And they're just good guys. They're just here for our benefit. Yes, they created you millions of years ago. And really the Bible's all fallacy. It's always about disproving the Bible. Show me one alien abduction scenario where they ever said, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ with all your might, all your heart, and all your strength. Never. At most, they'll mention maybe Jesus as one of the good prophets that they sent throughout history. Maybe, if they even mention him that way. If not, they'll mention him in a negative way. They won't mention him at all. That, that's all I need to know. The symbolic display seen by the abductees is identical to the type of initiation ritual or astral voyage that is embedded in the occult traditions of every culture. The structure of, aliens, of alien abduction stories is identical to that of, a, of occult initiation rituals. The UFO beings of today belong to the same class of manifestation as the occult entities that were described in centuries past. This is nothing new. Okay, maybe, maybe today has more of a modern-day sci-fi veneer on it. Okay, but evil entities... See, this, this can happen in, in two different ways. You can actually have a physical abduction. You can also have more of a spiritual experience where you go into what they call night or, or, or a sleep paralysis and it's more of an out-of-body thing. A lot of people have had that too. Most every time this happens to people, they're involved in the occult. Or their parents were involved in the occult. And there's generational curses. There's open doors there that have opened them up to these things. 
And this is what opens the door for this to happen. Not only that, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We know we're heading into a great time of wickedness. I believe that there's more demonic activity on the earth right now because we're giving the devils that open door to manifest the demonic activity through mass witchcraft, for instance. Like Harry Potter. Do you think that's going to um, discourage or encourage demonic activity in the earth? Do you think that 4,000 abortions per day, which is the greatest abomination in God's sight, and one of the things that's most sought after by Satan, is going to discourage or encourage demonic activity in America? Do you think maybe these things are opening doors from spiritual dimensions in our dimension that should not be opened according to God, but they're being opened? Why is human sacrifice considered the highest satanic right that you can do? Do you think Satan's doing that just for no reason? I think there's a spiritual dynamic that's taking place that we're not seeing because we don't have spiritual eyes to see it. We haven't, we haven't had our third eye open like some people in the occult have. And that's true. They, they say that there's some people in the occult that have their third eye open and they can actually see into the spirit world. Okay, they can actually... But see, that's, that's forbidden by God. That's a, that's a spear forbidden to us. There's only been certain examples in the Bible where that's ever been permitted, and it's only been for finite time periods to, for godly men, and I don't know if there's any, any women that have ever seen into that realm, from a godly way. But for the most part, if you see things like that, you know, on a consistent basis, it's not a good thing. It's not something you should strive for. So, going further, this is from the book Transformation by Whitley Stryber, page 184. Quote, I felt an absolutely indescribable sense of menace. Now, this was, uh, he was being abducted. It was hell on earth to be, to be in there, in the presence of these entities. Oh, but they're there for our good, remember. And yet I couldn't move, I couldn't cry out, I couldn't get away. I lay as still as death, suffering inner agonies. Whatever was there seemed to be monotonous, mono, monst monstrously ugly. So filthy and dark and sinister. Of course they were demons. This is from an unsaved guy. They had to be. And they were... And they were here and I couldn't get away. That's what happens in these abduction scenarios. Many, many times. And they're real and millions of people have had these. And they're all nuts. I don't think so. This is from another excerpt from the Unlocking Alien Closets. My findings confirm what I suspected a decade ago. A spiritual war is taking place on Earth. Alien experiencers and covert human experimentation operatives, which are called CHEOPS experiencers, are right in the line of fire. Our, immortals, our immortal souls are the spoils of their war. Only by following God's commandments can we ensure the survival of our souls. We must do unto others as we have done unto us. May God bless all those who fight for righteousness and truth. So, this is a... Okay, now, here's another thing. Do you realize that there's been one thing that has worked every single time to stop alien abductions? Oh, how much is this preached from? from the Oh, you can't talk about aliens at all. Much less abductions or how to stop them. Well, I'm going to tell you right now how to stop any alien abduction. If you've ever had it happen, if you know anybody, 
Why, why isn't this all the rage at the UFO cons, uh, conventions? Well, a lot of them actually seek to get abducted. That's how sick they are. Yeah, they do. They want to get abducted. They think that they're, they're, they're going to a higher level of consciousness. Their galactic, the galactic brethren are finally making their big debut. And they want to be first in line. You know? Maybe they'll get a treat because they're first in line. Like an Ovaltine secret decoder ring. Or a Hulk Hogan commemorative beer koozie. I don't know. Some little trinket. Just kidding. Teasing. Anyway, there's a website called, it's ce4research.com. Write this down. C as in cat, E as in Edward, 4, the number 4, research.com. ce4research.com. www.ce4research.com. This guy's on my email list. Joe Jordan is the president. He's on my email list. This website documents many on the website, abduction experiences by people. At one time, they were not born again, Christians, and then they became born again. Guess what? Every single time, once they became born again, if the abduction experience started to happen, it was abruptly ended when they cried out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single time. How many times is that preached on in the pulpits? Oh, you can't talk about this stuff. You're just nuts. Okay? You're, 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 like, you're a poster boy for the Antichrist if, if you feel that way because you're basically saying that the war that we're in, all this alien stuff, we just need to ignore it. Which is what I get from a lot of people. Oh, just ignore it. It'll just go away. I just got... Uh, Doug just chimed in and uh, he was saying, which name do you use? Meshua? You know, all, all the, the Jewish Hebrew. I, I don't believe that's necessary. I've had one of these experiences, and I'm not saying I was abducted, but um, I had one of these experiences, and I won't go into great detail, but um, one of this, when it happened to me, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that if I cried out in the name of Jesus Christ, it was all going to go away, and I was paralyzed, I couldn't breathe, I, at first I couldn't open my eyes. I was paralyzed from head to toe. This happened to me. I mean, it really did. It wasn't my imagination. And when I cried out in the name of Jesus Christ, it all lifted off me instantaneously. I know this works firsthand. Now, this wasn't an... I don't believe this was an alien abduction experience. This was a... basically... angel of death experience. They were trying to kill me. This was a long time ago when I was coming out of the Pentecostal movement. I think I had some... Um, the particular place where I was staying at the time had these two little idol, these two little black onyx idols that were basically like little idols in the headboard. I didn't know they were there, and that's the same side of the bed that this thing manifested. Anyway, I'm not going to get into great detail about that, but I will say that when I cried out in the name of Jesus Christ, the whole experience stopped. It's the only time it's ever happened to me before since then. This doesn't go around happening to me all the time. Okay? But I know this works. And I, it was years later I found out this Christian group. Because, and they had had, they have testimonial after testimonial after testimonial confirming the same thing. Now doesn't that encourage you? Who has the power? 
uttering the name of Jesus Christ, and obviously you want to have faith, and obviously you have to be a born-again Christian. I don't believe this just... I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to test it. Well, I'm going to stay unsaved and cry out to Jesus Christ next time and see if it works. No! You need to get saved. Jesus Christ is the only one that can protect you from this. Period. Um, there's a... This is a testimonial from a guy named Nick. I'm just going to read one testimonial. Uh, because the other testimonials are so gigantically huge, I, can't, I don't have time to read them. You can go up on the website, ce4research.com, and read them for yourself. Now, this guy's not doing... He's not out there selling books and doing all... They're not out there to get rich. They're just out there to put the information out there. They've tried to bring this before the UFO people before... And nobody wants it. And I think to myself... Oh, so you want to keep getting abducted? You want to keep having these, these experiences? You would rather not get saved and rather go through all of this when it's so easy. It's a free gift you receive as far as salvation goes. But you don't want it. You still don't want it. You would rather get abducted. Have it your way. This is from Nick. He says, Hi, I have a story that is similar to what many others are saying on your website. This is from CE4 Research. Only I have just heard waves of voices wash over me. I could move and speak if I so desired. I'm not sure why I wasn't paralyzed so, like so many other words were. Because see, the vast majority of people that get abducted are paralyzed. It's, it's very, very, very common. It's called night paralysis, typically. But it happened to me. And I'm talking paralyzed where you can't move a muscle. I, at first, I was so paralyzed that I couldn't open my eyes. Opening my eyes was like lifting a 500-pound weight off me. It was so hard. That's how paralyzed. I couldn't breathe either. Uh, that's not going to work real long if you can't breathe. You can't go too long without air. So, it says, I'm not sure why I wasn't paralyzed. Others Before I was born, my parents were slightly into some occultic things. When my sister and I were born, they got rid of the divining rods and the occultic books and such. Well, I would say that's more than slightly being involved. Occultic books and divining rods are not, you know, that could have opened them up to all kind of what we would consider in the Bible generational curses. And the Bible says that the sins of the forefathers are carried to the third and fourth generation. So, it says, then when my sister and I were born, they got rid of these things. They tell me that after this, my sister and I would experience what are scientifically documented as, quote, night terrors. There's no scientific explanation for night terrors. We would sit up and scream in the middle of the night, eyes wide open, calling for our parents, they were new Christians, and they did not know what to do. I don't remember any of that. I was too young. But I do remember the voices, what sounded like thousands of voices that would come to me almost every night. At that time, I was probably around 10, and figured I must be crazy. My parents told me it was my imagination. This is typical for most Christians. These experiences happened a long time ago. I am now 21 and a devout Christian, and I have had no experiences since then. I don't really remember when I first started hearing the voices, and when they finally left me. I remember I used to call out for Jesus to help me. The voices would slowly fade whenever I did this. Now again, this is of all the testimonials, probably one of the weakest. There's many more that are much, but I don't have time to read, I mean, they're voluminous. I mean, these people are really wanting to tell people what happened to them. Now, this isn't something where just somebody sends in a testimonial, and it gets put up on the website. These guys, this Joe Jordan and these other guys have went around the United States, and interviewed many of these people and got their testimonies firsthand. The voices would slowly fade whenever I did this. I now recognize this is the most likely demonic attack. 
I figured the demons were upset with my parents for rejecting the occult and hung around me for a long time afterwards, maybe to punish them. Thank you for your time. Um, so that was just his testimony. Yeah, I think there was definitely open doors there in that life. And, and um, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, it's hard to exactly say what was going on. But there were open doors. There was a reason that the devils and demons had this type of access. Now, in this case, this is more of a demonic manifestation. It may not be where, you know, the little green men appear and they want to beam me up on the ship. That's not the only kind of, of abduction experiences that are, that are witnessed. Um, there's other kinds, like the kind I went through, which wasn't really that at all. Okay? So, the fact remains is, is it doesn't matter what kind of abduction experiences is, they're all evil. They're all from the father of lies. Every one of them. None of them are good. And then in the, in the alien agenda, they have the, have you heard about the good cop, bad cop aliens? Oh yes, we have some great aliens that are actually good. And we have some called Nordics, which appears these perfectly beyond perfect human humans that, I mean, they're blonde hair, blue eyes, Nordic looking, perfect bodies, and they always come and present themselves as the good guys. It's good cop, bad cop, alien style. Now, if, just think about this too. If there were actually good aliens, how would the Bible explain that one? If they're all evil, it's one thing, which I believe to be the case. At their core, they're all evil. They're just deceivers. Some are better, some come as good, some come as angel of lights. Especially the Nordics would fit into that category because they come as these perfect beings. I mean, perfect physically in every way, and they come as these angel of light figures, but they're ministers of Satan, transforming themselves into angels of light. That's all they are. So, please bear in mind, none of these are... I don't buy any story I ever read about alien abductions or things of this nature where these things present themselves to be good, because they never, ever, ever point to Jesus. If they were good, why aren't they, why aren't they confessing the Lord Jesus Christ and pointing us to Him? Why aren't they doing that? They're never doing that. So they're not good. Black and white. Okay, going back to the Bible. Romans 1, verse 21 through 25. Romans 1, 21 through 25 says, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of God the glory of un un the uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man. Remember that. So they made, they changed the glory of uncorruptible God in the image made like unto corruptible man. And to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of the flesh, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The emphasis here in this verse is that many people or groups throughout history have turned from the worship of the true God to created things on earth. I mean, it's all through the Bible. Don't bow, bow yourself down to, to idols. Don't, so, don't serve them which have eyes and do not see, have ears and do not hear. These stones are representative of deities that people worship, okay? Particularly fallen angelic deities. And this is what the fallen angels want. They want worship. They want what God 
demands, they want it given to them. So, these created things, including the hosts of heaven, what are these entities that people of other religions worship anyway? They're fallen angels, plain and simple. That's what, that's what these people, whether, whether it's in some kind of stone idol, whether it's in a statue of Mary, because you're basically worshipping Diana or Ishtar there, um, whatever idol you bow yourself down to, all it is is a physical representation of some fallen angelic thing. That's basically what you're worshipping. Which is an abomination for the pit of hell. That's why the Bible says in the second commandment, not, not to make any graven image, you should not bow down and worship them, of anything created in the, in the heavens above, in the ground, or the, or the uh, sea below. That's why we're not supposed to make these things and bow down and worship, worship them. Second commandment. Conveniently, the same commandment that the Catholics have removed from their Bible. And what they do is they split the tenth commandment in two, so they still have ten commandments, and they can still feel all nice and religious. But that religion is only going to take them straight to the pit of hell. Daniel 2.43 says, And whereas thou saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves, now this is in regard to the, to the end times, to the ten toes of the vision. Okay? They shall mingle them, whereas thou saw iron mixed with the miry clay. This is the ten toes of the kingdom, of the ten kingdoms that are going to um, be operating on the planet during the reign of the Antichrist. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. It says they shall mingle themselves with what? The seed of men. Well, they, remember Satan has his own seed. It says, thy seed and her seed, her seed will bruise your head and, you, and your seed is going to bruise her heel. There are two separate, distinct seed lines. Particularly if you really want to boil it down, I think if you really want to, want to say, okay, well, what do you mean seed? Well, seed implies something physical. I'm not saying because spiritually they can't reproduce. Satan cannot spiritually reproduce anything. But from a physical sense, if he sends a fallen angel to earth, she, he, that fallen angel can actually procreate with a human. We've proven this in Genesis 6. With a woman. Why does the Bible say here in Daniel 2.43 that they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men but shall not cleave one to another? They implies something different than the seed of men. What other seed is there? The seed of Satan? The two seeds mentioned in Genesis chapter 3 that we talked about at the start of this? This is, what, this is why we see the iron and the clay not mixing, because they're two substances that can't aptly fit one to another. They are mixed, but they're not aptly joining together. They're not like if you mix, like let's say you mix um, alcohol and water. They'll mix together. Okay? And then you can't even tell the difference. But if you mix oil and water, yeah, you could put them together, but they don't aptly join. The oil will always separate from the water. This is what they're talking about here. Now let's look at this further. Let's go to Noah Webster's Dictionary, 1828. The word mingle, the word mingle means to mix. 
The word cleave means to unite aptly, or aptly fit. Aptly means to do it in a good way. It, it does it in a... I'm trying to think of the word I would want to use here. Aptly fitting meaning it's something that, that would fit well or good together. But see, it says they don't they don't cleave one to another. This passage is obviously debatable as to its relevance, but it is a passage which always gets placed into the topic. Here, Daniel is interpreting a dream about the final kingdom of mankind just before the return and reign of Jesus Christ. One might be tempted to believe this passage merely refers to the political mixture given the larger context of the prophecy. But in looking at the original language, there seems to be strong indication that it is a marriage or a sexual type of union. It is not wise to dogmatically state that this passage is definitely referring to angel-human mixture here, but is worth considering. Considering Matthew um, 24, 37, which, which where Jesus talks about... Um, in regard to, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We already talked about that. Considering Matthew 24, 37, and the overall angel-hybrid understanding of Scripture, which Daniel operated from as, as an Orthodox Jew um, of his time period, this historical perspective only disappeared from historical Christian church between three to 500 A.D. Well, does that make it not so, because it disappeared? No, I think they had a better grip on these things. I think they had a much better grip on it. Many of them witnessed these things firsthand in the Bible. Are we better than they? Daniel 2.43 could be referring to hybridization of this, of this, again, this fallen angelic race. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, well, aren't we to expect then to see this exact same thing that was going on in Noah's day in our day? Because Jesus predicted it was going to be that way. And the grace earmark of the days of Noah were these fallen angels procreating with women, producing this hybrid angelic race. Now maybe this is why aliens, the physical ones that manifest, and there's a, there's a whole classifications. There's aliens, there's reptilians, there's all these things. Maybe one of the reasons they are the way that they are is because of this verse in Daniel, where it says they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another. I mean, I don't see a lot of giants walking around, these perfect-looking, titan-like giants walking around. Maybe because God's not going to allow that apt union to happen again. Maybe that's why these aliens are always so vile-looking. Maybe, maybe God's not going to allow that. I don't know. I can't be 100% dogmatic. It's a theory. But I don't ever see these giants portrayed in today's day and age like they were back then. Well, what's the difference? Maybe God's not going to let it happen because of this very exact verse, Daniel 2.43. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but shall not cleave one another. That means they shall not aptly fit one to another. Maybe their genetic experiments aren't working out the way they kind of want them to work out with the women. Maybe their breeding programs or whatever they're doing. Again, it's hard to be totally dogmatic. I think we're all going to find out soon enough. I really do. This is part of the end time scenario here. Part of the end time scenario is being totally ignored by the Christian church. Totally. For the most part. So, that this passage in indicates 25 years in advance 
In other words, this passage in Daniel may be an indication 25 years in advance that the second time that they come and mingle themselves with the seed of men, or actually it wouldn't be the second, but more like the third, because really you see the giants, Genesis 6, you see them after the flood in David's day when they went in the promised land. That would be more considered the second time. And then the third time would be more the end time union, where, where Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? I'm being, I'm maybe over, oversimplifying there, but that's, that's what we're in reference to. This passage in Daniel may indicate 25 years in advance that it won't work. Should serve as a warning to those that would reject Christ and serve and adore the so-called aliens. Okay, so again, what I'm trying to do is give a biblical explanation of what is all this about with the alien agenda. We've got to be able to explain this biblically. We can't, we can't just say, well, we're just going to ignore the alien thing and not be able to have, have any kind of answer. But there's a total answer in the Bible, biblically. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7-12 through 12 says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He who now letteth will let and he'll be, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed. Taylor, move. And shall consume, consume with the spirit of the mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Well, that's where we're get, getting into right now. All power and lying signs and wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's what this is all about. Are you receiving the love of truth or are you rejecting it? Because if you're rejecting it, the Bible basically says that you're going to hell. Well, what, are you preaching another gospel? No, but isn't Jesus Christ truth? And if, if Jesus Christ saves you and the Holy Spirit lives inside you, why isn't He going to guide you in truth? Why is He going to leave you in darkness? He's just going to save you to leave you in darkness? There should be some conviction of these things. There should be some desire in your heart to want to find out truth. Considering we're living in the most deceptive time humanity's ever known, the time where Jesus said, be not deceived, be not deceived, over and over again regarding the end times, he said, be not deceived. And that's, that's all the church is, is deceived. It's pathetic. We're the ones that should have the truth. And then it says, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion. Essentially almost the whole earth. That they should believe a lie. That they might all be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's a pretty stern warning, considering everything I've said. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. This is the time we're living in. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's what the UFA, the UFO uh, cult movement is all about. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Then it says in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, it says, For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall turn, be turned unto fables. That's the time we're living in. Now, new mini-series, or actually it's the second season, of what they call The Fallen, on ABC Family. And, um, The Fallen is a show that came out last summer, and now they have the, uh, they had three new episodes come out on August 3rd through 5th. And uh, in this miniseries, this is really dark stuff. 
really super dark stuff. If ABC Family's putting it out, I'm telling you, ABC Family is the one network to keep an eye on as far as demonic, really, really, really anti-Christ agenda stuff. I mean, they got stuff on, on ABC Family that is... See, their, their, their motto is a new kind of family. That's what ABC Family is, a new kind of family. Instead of what the Bible talks about, about seeking the old past, no, they got a new kind of family. They've got dysfunctional family. They've got families, you know, where, whatever. They're trying, to, they're trying to basically push the envelope every way they can push it. That is one of the most wicked, without a doubt, one of the most wicked TV stations on the planet because of the agenda they're putting out. They have the Kyle XY. We've talked about that before, where they have this cloned boy that was made in this laboratory come, and he has all these supernatural abilities and powers, and he's real noble and nice, and he's going to save the planet, basically. I mean, we got, I mean, this is just totally manipulating creating humans through genetic experimentation. Okay, and they're portraying him, I mean, this is demonic, this is playing God. And they're portraying him as this real, I mean, you, you, you know, to, to try to empathize, empathize with, with Fallen, with Kyle X.Y., because he really doesn't have a true mother or father. And, and, you know, the poor guy, and, and he's so good, and he has all these powers, and it's all from the pit of hell, is all it is. Every bit of it. And then they have the Fallen. And the Fallen is named the Fallen, and I'm going to read you this right off their website. And it says, Jealous Lucifer waged war in heaven and lost. The Creator imprisoned him in Hades and exiled his disloyal followers. Now, that's a lie. He didn't imprison Satan. Now, he did imprison the ones that left their first estate and took these women to be his wives. Yes, he, he did do that. But see, they again, right, the second sentence here is totally lies. Okay? Satan's roaming the earth, seeking whom he, whom he may devour as a roaring lion. Okay? He's not imprisoned in Hades. But this is what happens when you go to ABC Family to get your theology. It gets better, trust me. I mean worse. The, these angels fell to earth. They were corrupted humans, where they corrupted the humans and sired Nephilim. Now, even ABC Family and the secular world is admitting that these things are called Nephilim. They're called the fallen. They are the, they are the, uh, the, the um, offspring when these fallen angels fell to earth and procreated with women. These angels fell to earth, where they corrupted humans and sired Nephilim. In rage, the Creator rejected those offspring as abominations. That's true. And sent fierce warrior angels called powers to purify the earth. That's false. He sent a flood to purify the earth. That's what he did. Yeah, he could have sent his, he could have sent his um, good angels to wipe them out. He could have done that. He didn't choose to do it. He chose a flood. That's God's business, not mine. And these, these fierce war angels they are supposedly called powers. Well, isn't that funny that the Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers? That's who we battle against. But they're saying the powers were the good guys. Now, I'm not saying there couldn't be good angels referenced in God's army termed as powers. There could be a good powers and battle. Okay, I'm not saying that, but it's just kind of an interesting side note there. And then it says, and this is a guy, he's, he's one of these um, uh, angels. He says, I, I am Camomile, Camale, Camale. 
I thought it was chamomile tea, maybe, but no, it's cam chamomile. Um, for millennia, I led the powers as we slew Nephilim and punished the fallen. See, supposedly in this miniseries, they believe that once a Nephilim is born, when they turn the age 18, they realize what they are. And that's when the powers, the good angels, have some kind of homing device on them, and they come and try to destroy them. It's, it's, it's all, this is all a bunch of lies, is essentially what we're doing. But this is the theology ABC Family's putting out. So it says, I am Kemal. For millennia I led the powers, as a supposedly good angel, as we slew the Nephilim and punished the fallen. But when I discovered the prophecy of the Redeemer... I finally understood the tragic error of our mission. So in other words, he's a good angel that saw some prophecy that obviously would have totally contradicted what God says and said that we were tragically mistaken. So I chose to believe this false prophecy over what God said. It was what essentially we're hearing here. I, I protect... Now I protect the Redeemer from the powers, as he struggles to fulfill his destiny. Who's this Redeemer? This is what this Fallen is all about. It's about this kid, who just turns 18, and he is the Redeemer. He is the, ch he is the one, he is the, he is the chosen one of this prophecy, sent to redeem all the fallen angels, and mankind to boot. Now, the Bible says that these fallen angels are appointed, the ones that left their first estate are in, Chains and Tartarus, they left their first estate. And they're all going to be cast in the lake of fire. There's no redemption for a fallen angel. Or an Ephilim. None. But see, that's not what... This is everything in the Bible backwards. When you really boil it down. You're telling me, what an abomination, what a stench in God's nostrils, to think that we're going to have some Nephilim, which is an abomination from the sight of God, the byproduct of a fallen angel and a woman, come and redeem... The fallen angels? What a lie from the pit of hell. And then it says, Herein I share stories of the great war and all that fallen. I introduce the characters and explain the archetypes of the angels and the Nephilim. I also reveal the prophecy so that you may prepare yourself for the Redeemer. Ooh. I wonder what that might be in reference to. Maybe the Antichrist making his big debut. He's going to prepare us for the... And again, who's this targeted toward? Kids? particularly teenage kids, they're, they're, this is what ABC families condition us for. This is what the New Age movements condition us for. This is what the alien agenda is conditioning us for. This is from Raiders News Network. I'm just going to read you some excerpts out of here. Prepping, it's entitled, Prepping the, genera Prepping the Generation to Accept Nephilim as the Redeemer. From a series of 14 novels, Fallen focuses on angels who have fallen from grace and the one being who can help them back to heaven. See, that, you know what that also implies? That implies that you know, God's going to give them a get-out-of-jail-card-free pass. That, what message that sends to us is that, you know what, we can live like the devil, but ultimately God's going to give us another chance, which is a lie from the pit of hell as well. Because you figure, well, if I'm a human and he's going to give the angels another chance, surely he'll give me another chance so I can just live like the devil now. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow I die, but I'll get another chance. Maybe somebody can pray me out of purgatory or whatever. I don't know. So, the author 
of this series, Thomas E. Signoski said he did quite a bit of biblical research about angels before he wrote the novels. Well, Thomas, you really fell flat on your face, man. You really... I mean, this is one of the most asinine... You know, I tried to find this prophecy of the Redeemer. I did all kind of keyword searches. I couldn't find it anywhere. It's not even up on the internet. You talk about some fringe doctrine... It goes on to say, he did all this research before he wrote the novels, rather than using pop culture references. Oh, Tom, you know, again, you really did a great job, buddy. Then it says, I think I drew my ideas from all kinds of sources, but my main source were from the tons of research books on angels and various mythologies that I'd collected over the years. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25. This man is totally trusting in his own heart to create his own stupid theology or mythology. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. Jeremiah 17.9. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28.26. Okay, so there again where, I mean, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You can think of so many verses in regard to this. And then it says, then he goes on to say, it was really cool to read all the stuff and slowly build my own angelic mythology. Well, isn't that exactly what Satan did when he said to Eve, you shall be as gods? You can just build your own religion. You can build your own mythology. Build whatever you want to build. Anything goes in today's satanic world. And then it goes on to say, apart from framing the script with Hebraic-sounding names, the Judeo-Christian concept of a primal angelic rebellion and the subsequent hybridization described in Genesis chapter 6, other than that, Fallen gives no reference to specific theological traditions, but does designate the lead character, Aaron... Corbett as the Nephilim hybrid who is on earth to fulfill a prophecy and meet his destiny as the chosen redeemer of the mutinous angelic domain. And again, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Are we being prepared to accept something here? From ABC Family? And through all the other UFO things? Maybe this is something we should maybe look at. And then it says, this is where fantasy blurs, the positions reverse, and the menace begins. As Dr. Horn notes in Nephilim Stargates, his book he wrote, given the abundant and universal prophecies that the end times will witness what we have been calling a reopening of the gates of heaven and the descending of a savior, it is important to note that from the Middle Ages forward, many church leaders have believed that the Antichrist would ultimately represent the return of the Nephilim. Well, the, Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah. Who better than a Nephilim? That in the, from the Middle Ages on, many church leaders have believed that the Antichrist would ultimately represent the return of the Nephilim, the union of a fallen angel and a human. Executive producer Pete Donaldson of this fallen show said that the goal was to make the story more secular. So there was no explanation of where God stands on the battle between their angels. Oh, you know, Pete, thanks so much. I, I'm so glad that, that you that you decided to become a preacher and start to start to dictate biblical theology to me. Because you don't want to you don't want to offend anybody. You want to make everything more secular. You don't want to give any explanation of where God stands on the angels, whether they're good. Now, you know how I, I watched the one last year, and the good angels were 
in the show were much more evil looking and acted more evil than the bad angels. They had these big black leathery wings and, and had these terrible, and they were just evil. Yet that's how God is, that's how they're trying to portray the good angels. It's the life in the pit of hell. Then it goes on to say, but how can such a topic, a subject of centuries of rigorous academic study and analysis, be represented as family entertainment? With a distribution that includes nearly 90 million homes, ABC Family boasts a new kind of family. And then it says, we're not for families, we're about families. Says ABC Family President Paul Lee about his network summer success. We're not a family television as it was in the 1950s. We're television about families that's relevant for today's 18 to 34 audience. There would be no trace of what he calls your grandfather's 1950s Ozzie and Harriet television on our on ABC Family. And that is the case. They have got stuff up on ABC Family that is just unbelievable. And they also will actually play on the internet some of these other shows about the occult that were from times past, like this one they had up there called The Initiation of Sarah, which was about this witch coven at a college. And they had a new version and an old version. And these witches were shape-shifting and, and basically participating in human sacrifice. It was right up on ABC Family. You could go up on the internet, click on it, and watch it. This article ends by saying it is without question an alarming prospect, but a far greater concern American families who look to sensational television programming for spiritual insight will be terrifyingly ill-informed and gravely unprepared. That's exactly what they want. And the church is doing the exact same thing. The church isn't even giving an explanation of what's coming. They're trying to give an explanation, but it's false. I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> They're both bad. But see, they're mingling a little bit of truth in here, but a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And then the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. Isaiah 5.20. And that's what they're doing with this show. They're basically portraying the good angels as bad angels, and the bad angels as good angels, and the bad angels, they're saying, well, we're just these poor guys, they fell, yeah, they sinned, they, they procreated, and, and they created these Nephilim, and out of this out of this evil union that was against God, that was against God's commandment to the angels, there's something good that's going to come out of that. Meaning this Nephilim that's going to come back and redeem all humanity and the fallen angels. Totally, totally contrary to the word of God. And the Bible talks about in Hosea 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This is from um, George Norrie. Just a brief excerpt. And this is from, he interviewed this guy named L.A. Marzula. He appeared on Coast to Coast with George Norrie on um, Tuesday night. This was just August 2nd. And discussed in his new nonfiction book, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, The Coming, Great Deception, and the Luciferian Endgame. I said this to one of my friends the other day. He had no idea about this. Christian. And I sent him my, I sent him my sermons and he was blown away on this. Because I have two other sermons where we get into this. It's called Nephilim in Hollywood and then um, the Lord Maitreya one. 
the Ascended Masters and Lord Maitreya. If you want to know more about this, some more specific things about the Ascended Masters and the appearance of Antichrist, listen to those, because that will also... And not only that, um, I can give you all of the the actual hard copy references. I'm going to try to be putting these PDFs up on the internet sites for each sermon where it's applicable. Where you can actually just click on the PDF and it will all be all right there. All the information you need right there. So from coast to coast... The summary page, it says, UFO researcher and student of ancient manuscripts, L.A. Marzula shares his views on the Nephilim, the fallen angels, the aliens, biblical prophecy, and the apocalypse. He described a Luciferian endgame that would take place possibly after a nuclear attack in the Middle East. And again, like I've said before, out of the ashes of of, of World War III, which is going to be in the Middle East, most likely the Antichrist is going to come as the man of peace, and a lot of this is going to be in conjunction where we have the aliens and all this stuff coming out at the same time. And most of the Christians are going to be like, totally overloaded. They're not even going to know what's going on. Their their pastors are going to probably be peeing their pants, okay, not knowing what to do. And what the pastors are going to end up doing is lining up with this Luciferian endgame. They're going to start pointing to this... They're going to, some of them are going to be saying, it's Jesus Christ, come back in the flesh. The Dominionists are probably most certainly going to do that. Because they're, they're believing that we're going to usher in the kingdom. We're, 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 going to, we're going to retake the kingdom and usher Christ right back in. You want to say something? Yeah, and we were just talking, the... the, the um, the ones that are very dogmatic in believing that the rapture has to occur before the Antichrist is revealed, which is really not scriptural at all. They're going to say, oh, well, this, this, um, this guy, this Antichrist guy, can't be the Antichrist. Now, let me clarify that real quick. Okay, just to clarify that, it says in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, and again, we, we talk about deception here, for that day shall not come, and this is in regard to our gathering of together under the Lord, okay, in the clouds, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, falling away, or apostasy, of the church in particular in the world, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed. So Jesus is not going to return until the falling away has occurred, and the man of sin be revealed. I got into a debate with one of the um, one of the people in our original home church about this, and it didn't matter what I said to him. I said, I said to him, I said, "Hey, look, it says and here, the falling away occurs in conjunction with the man of sin being revealed, the son of perdition." He he wouldn't believe it. I said, "It says it right in the King James Bible. It's in conjunction. That has to happen before Christ comes back. Both those things, not one, both." It doesn't say then. It doesn't say there come a falling away first, and then the man of sin be revealed. Then there would be more open to debate, but it says and. It's in conjunction. Anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail anymore. But anyway, going back to this, it says that this man, this L.A. Marzula, he describes this Luciferian endgame, that would take place possibly after a nuclear attack in the Middle East. Now, this very much lines up with what Cutting Edge Ministries is saying, too, about the Middle East. And this is what all the Christian Zionists want right now. The Hebrew Roots Movement. 
The Jews for Jesus. Oh, nuke Iran. We got to nuke them before they nuke us. Where's God? Show me the biblical mandate on that. Where we're supposed to go around nuking people, whether they're unsaved or not, to protect our own hides. Where's, where's the faith of God and all that? Show me that. There's no faith. It's faith in man. It's faith in a nuclear warhead. We've got to kill them before they kill us. Oh boy, that's really living the faith there, baby. That's earnestly contending for the faith. Give me a break. This Luciferian endgame would take place after a nuclear attack in the Middle East. UFOs would appear over the cities then. There would be full alien disclosure. We hear a lot in the UFO communities about disclosure. When's disclosure going to happen? What's disclosure? Disclosure is going to be when our government comes to the forefront and basically says, hey guys, listen, we didn't think you could handle this before. We've been working with these aliens for a long time. What do you think Area 51 is all about? What do you think all these underground bases that you can read about? They're all over the United States. Do you understand there's a whole underground tunneling network under the United States? It's there. Connecting different underground cities. How do you think we got this technology? Why has technology exploded so much in the last 50 years? Are we just so smart? We just figured all this out? Could there be an exchange taking place? Could our government possibly have made a deal? When disclosure occurs, and it's well known in high government that disclosure is going to occur, and it will occur soon, the government's going to come halfway clean about all this stuff. Now, again, what I just touched on there is almost a whole other lecture. But I'm not going to go into that any further. But there's going to be full alien disclosure. UFOs would appear over cities. Crediting, and there would be crediting of these extraterrestrials with evolving the human species through genetics. Now, this is what all these stinking ascended masters are saying, like Lord Maitreya. We were your creators. We were, you know, the grand poobahs from time past. And we've come back because you've messed everything up so bad. We're just going to straighten everything out. It's all going to be in conjunction. And for the average person, they're going to be so overwhelmed and so afraid and so scared, they're going to believe whatever's told them. Yet, this will be a demonic deception, he warns, setting up people for the Antichrist. I believe it's going to be conjunction with the Antichrist making his appearance. He postulated that the murders committed by the Nazis during the Holocaust were a kind of Luciferian sacrifice that may have opened up the portals for fallen angels to enter into our realm, said Marzulli. Now again, why do they like to do human sacrifice? Why is that considered the highest satanic rite there, there is? Do you think there's a spiritual component with this? Yes, there is. What's going on in an unseen spiritual realm? I don't really know, but I know one thing, that the highest level occultists talk a lot about opening portals for these things to come into our dimension and have access to us. Maybe that's why the Bible says, He who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Why does it talk about in the Bible where it says in the end times the bottomless pit is going to be open and there's going to be all these spirits and devils that are released in the end times? Why does it also talk about that there's three spirits chained in the bottom of the river Euphrates in the New Testament, in Revelation, that are going to be released? What is that about? 
Is that about a spiritual entity coming into our dimension and having access to us? What about all the locusts that are going to be released in Revelation that have the faces and, and, and they're going to, they're going to um, cause misery for all these men? Are they purely physical or is there a spiritual component there too? There's got to be a demonic spiritual component. See, a lot of this is talked about in Revelation, but we don't think it could be applicable to our day. But yet we're moving into Revelation right now. Something to think about. Why are the highest level occultists so obsessed with opening these portals and these doorways? Why was Aleister Crowley, who did the um, Alam Trough, what he called the Alam Trough working, where he invited through this portal this thing called Lam that looks like the modern day gray alien, why was that such a big deal to him? Why was that considered his crowning achievement? Why did, why did L. Ron Hubbard, the starter of um, Scientology, and um, Glenn Parsons, the, the uh, rocket scientist, when they did this Babylonian working, where they supposedly invited this whore of Babylon through this portal? I'm telling you, this is heavy-duty stuff I'm getting into, but it's stuff from an occult standpoint that they're well aware of. And Satan doesn't want us to be aware of it at all. He wants it to scare us half to death. That's what he wants. He wants to keep us in the dark and then just put it all on us at one time so we're so overwhelmed and so scared to death we never heard any of this in the churches that we won't know what to do. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. We still have the power. Jesus Christ is on the right hand of God. These powers are subject to him. So it doesn't matter. That's something I think we should be praying about. I don't think we should just sit back and say, Oh God, just let all the devils come and, and envelop the world. Maybe so, but the church isn't praying about this. They're, they don't even know to pray about it. That's why the Bible says we're destroyed for lack of knowledge. He postulated that the murders committed by the Nazis during the Holocaust were a kind of Luciferian sacrifice that may have opened up portals for fallen angels to enter into our realm. Said Marzulli, who noted the rise of UFO sightings directly after World War II. Anonymous creatures such as Mothmen may have also arrived through a portal, he conjectured. Marzulli offered analysis of the Fatima incidents in 1917 in Portugal. These apparitions seen by some 70,000 people were not of Mary of the Bible, but rather a type of deception, he believes. All the Catholic apparitions, all these things that they see are straight from the pit of hell. Every single one of them. Every one. There's a, there's a tape you can get called Messages from Heaven. And you can see what these things, these apparitions are saying. Mary's proclaiming herself as co-redemptrix. Sometimes she's saying you have to get to heaven just through me alone. If that, if that apparition was of God, why would it do that? So, a fourth witness was said to have seen an additional figure. This is in this Fatima thing, a child with stringy hair, which he related to the genetic experiments hybrids associated with alien lore. In the end of the interview, George Norrie commented, uh, Mr. Marzullo, you make us think. Marzullo's new book is available at Spiral of Life. Now, I'm not saying you go out and get this guy's book, because I don't even know if he's a Christian or not. The, the, the point is, is the unsaved UFO are, are, have come to this conclusion, a lot of them have come to this conclusion far sooner than Christianity has ever come to it. I mean, I think Christianity in times of old would have come to this conclusion sooner. But we don't have that. We have this lukewarm stuff going on in the churches. And uh, well, I, said, I said a lot today. I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, end it today. 
And um, I'm going to try to put this information with the actual sermon that I put up online so you can have access to this and you can research this on your own. Because we're going to be confronted with this very soon, most likely. And we need to be able to have an answer for this, for our unsafe family members. Because if we don't, we're going to look totally discredited in their eyes. They're going to say, well, where's your God at? They're, those spaceships over, you know, that just made their big debut, they're more real than your God. I can see them, I can't see your God. That's what you're going to get a lot of. You're going to get a lot of sarcasm. That's why you need to come boldly back at them and say, no, no, I have the answers. This is, this is something that totally lines up with the Bible. In fact, the Bible predicted it was going to happen. Don't let them try to get the upper hand on you. I'm looking forward to it in a way because I've been waiting for this for a long time. The Bible predicted it was going to happen. Maybe it didn't go into every little single tiny detail. But as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Let's go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you've given us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we praise you and thank you for all your goodness and your mercy, Lord God. Most of all, for our salvation, for saving our souls, Father God. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the price that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ paid on the cross for His death, burial, and resurrection, for His mercy He's bestowed upon us, for saving sinners such as we are. I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone listening to this broadcast, that You'd save their souls, Father God, for it Your will that not one would perish, and that all would come to repentance, in the name of Jesus Christ, that You would forgive us, Lord God, of any sin, any and all sins that we've committed, in any way, shape, and form, that You would cleanse us of presumptuous sins, and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, in the name of Jesus Christ, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Lord God, that you would contend with these evil, deceptive spirits, in the name of Jesus Christ, that seek to deceive humanity in regard to this subject that we're talking about today, Lord. Knowing that it's something that we're going to have to be dealing with very soon. I pray, Lord God, these devils and these demons and these fallen angels, these princes and these principalities, be exposed for what they are. We claim Psalm 64 over them, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, and even over the people that they emanate and operate through. Not that they would be destroyed so much, Lord God, but that, Lord God, through your judgment on them in this life, they would get saved. If it be possible. And if not, Lord God, through your judgment on them, many would see and fear and declare the work of God. We claim Psalm 64 over them now. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot in him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying of stairs privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded, so they shall make their own tongues to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad, and the Lord shall trust in him, and all the upright hearts shall glory. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.